Hello and welcome back to Football by the Numbers. I am John. I am once again joined by goalkeeper extraordinaire, U.S. men's national team and MLS expert, Mr. Willard the Wall. Will, how are you doing? Doing fine, John. Doing fine. Looking forward to our championship match coming up for our Sunday League team. Yeah, Sunday League. That's right. We had an excellent game today. The team, of course, forfeited, so we scrimmaged. You did the honors of subbing for the opposing team that had literally zero defense in goal and uh how was that experience well i had to go up against the top forward on the field so that was unfortunate due to your your hat trick embarrassing me hey that's you know what it's my first ever hat trick of my career i'm very proud of the first two goals the third one it was a little bit of deception i did get a little touch on it to complete the hat trick but you know what it was fun it was a scrimmage you basically played against our team who had a lot more chemistry than like the ramshackle team that was thrown together and you guys put up a pretty good fight and it was good practice for our championship speaking of championship matches let's talk about the u.s men's national team i don't know what championship match they're in or they'll ever be in we can all dream one day so let's talk about this the roster was recently released for the u.s men's national team upcoming qualifiers in order i believe on thursday october 7th it is jamaica sunday october 10th will be panama and then wednesday october 13th is costa rica I saw there's some interesting changes to the lineup, Will. What did you think of Greg's roster that he released recently here? I mean, overall, I'm okay with it. I mean, there's obviously the glaring omissions of Pulisic and Reyna, but it's due to injury. I did find some of Greg's comments interesting. When it came to the forwards, he did make a strategic decision in who he left off and who he brought in. He made a concerted concerted effort to get guys who were, were more vertical strikers who would stretch the field more. So he left off, obviously, Sargent and Pfock this time. He thinks Pfock is better on crosses and set pieces, kind of be better for like a team that bunkers. I guess he thinks these will be very up and down games and guys with speed will find gaps in behind making runs. Hopefully it pans out and leaving off these guys who have more experience and bringing on more of the fresher faces it'll be interesting I'm, I'm excited especially for timothy weah he's finally getting his showing out he did miss last time with injury so hopefully he can stay fit and i think greg does have a point with this especially this jamaica game coming up first i think it's going to be an end-to-end game i think leon bailey and michael antonio can really be that threat Mikel antonio is going to be that vertical threat on the other end he's one of the top scorers in the premier league right now Leon Bailey, of course, had a couple of good years with Bayer Leverkusen. Those will be two tough players to mark. Some notable changes to this roster. is We see that New York City FC goalkeeper Sean Johnson replaces Ethan Horvath. Kind of makes sense since Horvath hasn't gotten a ton of game time at Nottingham Forest, and when he has, has kind of bottled it. We also see the inclusion of Chris Richards and Shaq Moore, finally, over Tim Ream, who had to leave because of family reasons and James Sands, who just had a crap showing the last call-up. The midfielders, he increased the number to eight, adding Busio, De La Torre, and Yunus Musa, in addition to the five that he brought last time. And the forwards we have in reduced number as well, and there are a lot of changes on there. Will, you were talking about the forwards earlier. To me, this seems pretty unidirectional, and by that, I mean that we don't seem to have a left-sided forward here. Am I wrong in looking at this? So the forwards we have are Aronson, who plays 
attacking midfield or right wing. Paul Ariola, who plays for DC United on the right. Matthew Hoppy, who I guess can maybe play on the left. Pepe, who plays in the middle. Weah, who plays on the right or in the middle. And Zardes, who plays in the middle. Is this kind of an oversight on Greg's part, or do you think he's going to kind of mix it up with the formations here? I think we will see him mix it up. I mean, I don't think he has a lot of left-footed players to choose from in the forward group. I think Matthew Hoppy played a little on the left wing last time he was called in for the Gold Cup. I could see Timothy Weah and Brendan Aronson playing on the left as well so I don't I don't think it's a big deal I definitely think Giassi's only going to be you know center forward I think Pepe could play on the right but he'll probably be predominantly center striker and then Paul Ariel is probably a right winger and we also see Sebastian Legette in there I believe Greg's kind of put him all around the midfield three as well as wing positions as you think he could get a shout in at uh, at left wing as well. that would be interesting it's it's possible but I I would probably doubt it there's also walker zimmerman we forgot yeah walker zimmerman he was brought in i believe he was in the last round i don't think he got too much playing time he has had several good showings for nashville sc he was initially excluded but because tim ream had family issues hope everything's okay with with his family but thank god he's not on the team this time around i know andrew's gonna be thrilled that he's not looking at it i think walker zimmerman's definitely a better ad than tim ream we've got a couple of good left-footed players in there will what are some notable ads to this team that you are looking forward to seeing do you think there's any glaringly obvious players missing from this lineup that you would have liked to see i'll start with who i'm excited for i'm like I mentioned, Timothy Weah. Also, Luca De La Torre, kind of a surprise inclusion. He had a brief showing in friendlies before the summer. Looked good in the few minutes he got. It'll be interesting to see where Greg sees him, if he's like a backup six or if he could compete for a backup eight role. He's getting time over in uh, over in the Dutch league, so that's good for him. I know, I know you're excited for Gianluca Busio. I am as well playing well for Venezia right now. I know that defensively, Busio's had his issues, mainly being that he's more of a deep-lying six, playmaking kind of player, like Tony Kroos, where he can help on deep. I mean, it's a little different because he's more immobile, but can still help out and make a tackle on defense, whereas Busio, the main comparison there is that they're more playmaking sixes as opposed to somebody who's going to sit there and in the six and make crunching tackles like a Fabinho or a Fernandinho of past teams. So I am looking forward to seeing Busio back on the field again. He has had some good showings so far in Serie A. I believe he's averaging about a 7.2, 7.3 rating across the games that he's played there. He scored the goal in injury time today against Cagliari to tie that game so that was exciting to see I don't know too much about Dilatore, so that'll be an interesting addition to the team as well who else did we have who else were we talking about in the pre-show your boy Richards yeah Chris Richards finally Berhalter I mean you made the best move of your career here he's gonna make your team here yeah me as well I'm, I'm interested to see like how he balances the time between Brooks and Miles Robinson and Chris Richards in the center back roles. I really would like to see Mark McKenzie and Chris Richards. Chris Richards brings the diagonal vertical passing that we see a lot in the Premier League from like Virgil van Dijk or some of those other elite teams. But I'd like to see Miles Robinson get some time in there as well. 
Walker Zimmerman, I think, would be a good matchup against Mikhail Antonio. He doesn't have the pace. He's a little slower, but he does add that aerial threat. Chris Richards can also swing at right back, but we do have Serginho Dest and DeAndre Yedlin for that right back spot. So it'd be interesting to see if he puts Serginho Dest maybe at left back with George Bellow and tries Chris Richards out at right back. What do you think? Where do you think Chris Richards' best position would be in a Berhalter system? I think your wingbacks are set with Anthony Robinson on the left, Dest on the right. I think Miles Robinson is a lock for one of the center back roles. And now it's Chris Richards competing with John Brooks to see who's the last center back starter but if if you're rotating guys this window i mean i think chris richards could start at left or right back in a pinch yeah it'd be cool to see him across the back line i really think he does have a lot of talent he did extend his contract with Bayern for a reason and has gone out and playing with hoffenheim hoffenheim loved him so much that they wanted him again after the six month stint that he had there last year one defender that pops out to me as not on the list but I think should have gotten a call-up, especially after the game this weekend, was Joe Scally. I know he's only 18. He's started off extremely well for Borussia Mönchengladbach. He had a goal this week against Wolfsburg in their 3-1 victory. I remember back in the very first match week where they just kind of shoved him in at left back, where uh, I believe at NYCFC is where he was before he played majority at right back. And then because of injuries, Mönchengladbach said, hey, we don't have enough players, slot in at left back. And he had Leroy Sané, one of the best wingers in the world, in his pocket. So why do you think he's missing from this list? Yeah, this is a tough question. I know this this is the one fans seem to be most upset about with how Scally's been playing. You know, at the surface level, he seems like an upgrade over Shaq Moore and George Bellow. It's, that's just such a tough thing, you know, with someone who's totally new to the squad, his young age at 18, like you mentioned. It's just like, when when do you bring him in during World Cup qualifiers? This I think this would have been the perfect opportunity to integrate him into it because the last go-around, you know, you, have some, you need some of the old heads, you know, quote-unquote old heads. But I think this go-around would have been perfect. You know, maybe you don't start him against Jamaica. Maybe you do the more tried-and-true guys. But against Panama and Costa Rica, against Panama, that's a great game to start him and integrate him again into the team. To me, the youth argument also almost is moot because you've got George Bello, who's freshly 19, and he's been called up since the Nations League, I believe. Uh, yeah, Greg did mention that, you know, Scally's in his thoughts, so I think we definitely will see him, hopefully soon. Yeah, maybe when there's more, when there's easier opponents at home. I definitely don't see him starting a road match in the... CONCACAF. I don't think that would be the best way to get him integrated. So the next round, I wouldn't expect to see Joe Scally either, which how long can Joe Scally ride this starting spot and ride this form that he has? But the next round that we have is in November and we play Mexico and Jamaica. So unless he wants a trial by fire for Scally, I don't see him being called up then too. I'm glad that Scally's in his plans, but if not now, when? Let's move on to the midfield here. Luca De La Torre is somebody that I'm interested to see. I don't watch any Eredivisie other than maybe Ajax or PSV whenever they're in the Champions League. Will, what's your inside look on Luca De La Torre? If you were Berhalter, where would you play him? When would you play him? I mean, he seems to be a very box-to-box guy. He's a small guy, but he's quick, and he plays good through balls into space. He's a very offensive-minded guy. 
No slouch on defense. I would guess eight, the role of an eight. I would think Kellen Acosta is more of a backup six. Busio also has familiarity with the role of the six. Yeah, I'd like to see him play maybe in the Panama game and get a, well, maybe not a start, but he. it'd be interesting to see him alongside some of the other pros that have been with this team for a while, like Tyler Adams or legit another inclusion that our compatriot andrew would be very thrilled about would be eunice musa our fans may or may not know that i'm not completely sold on eunice musa yet i think he's still pretty green and i i don't think his decision making is there we've seen it at valencia the stats just don't get it for me again he's still young i like that berhalter is adding a lot of youth to this team and kind of getting them ready for maybe not 22, but World Cup 26 when it is at home. Do you think Musa kind of wins a starting spot with McKenney and Adams? Or do you think that goes to Legette? Do you think he's, you know, maybe, maybe be, we, like I said earlier, we don't have any left-sided forwards because he's going to play Legette at left mid in a 4-4-2 and Musa goes out on the, at a, as a right mid. I guess my two questions would be, how good is Musa really? And where is his best position? I think we saw it in the friendlies. I think it is in the midfield as an eight alongside Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams at the six. I'm a big fan of Musa. I mean, he's obviously very raw. He's very strong on the ball. He's not as creative with the passing. It's not there yet. But I think just in CONCACAF, in a midfield of him and McKinney and Adams, they're just so they're so strong. And they're not going to have a lot of creative combinations but they're going to be so good at winning the balls back i'm a big fan i think in greg's mind legit is still ahead of him i hope we get to see you know at least one match where the three i mentioned get to start together again but i think he has significant work to do to be a full-time starter i don't dislike musa but i have a lot of worries and he, he is absolutely a very talented player but he's still very raw like you said the football that i'm used to seeing is very possession based and pass heavy so when we already have two dribblers i mean tyler adams can create and he's a very good passer but when we have strong guys who can dribble in the midfield and that's what they do to me the midfield should be filled with p- players who are very creative and can pass and, may, and dribble is like a secondary option. It's like a, a quarterback in a wildcat formation. With a quarterback, the thing you want him to do is be able to throw the ball. But if you have that running option, that's there in his back pocket too. To me, a midfielder should be able to pass and hold on to the ball and win the ball back when needed and be able to dribble as an option, take his space, maybe take on a guy or two. And I see that a lot from Eunice Musa is his first decision is to take people on and not necessarily pass the ball away. Or when he does pass the ball away, he he doesn't do too many killer balls, not because he can't, but because they get intercepted. I know you're not a huge fan of Legette, as you said in our last video. You said that Legette's kind of a vanilla guy and you know what you get. But I think... Greg, based on the scrutiny that he's gotten from the U.S. men's national team fans due to his poor performance in the last rounds 
he might opt for Legette over Musa but I, in that first game, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Musa there. He didn't play Musa at all in Nations League when he was in, which was a surprise. And we do only have the friendlies to go off of. This is a new year, new season. There's plenty of opportunity for Musa to impress here. Real quick, hold on. Let me rewind to the midfielders. We have 10 defenders, three goalkeepers, eight midfielders, and six forwards. You couldn't have dropped one mid, one defender or one other midfielder for Caden Clark. I mean, come on. You know, we got to get him in here at least for Andrew. You know, Caden Clark, we love you, buddy. You're still making it into like every episode here. Moving back on to the forwards. Who are you most excited to see? Anybody glaringly obvious? For me, Jesse Zardes is kind of like a, ugh, again. You know, it's not not that he's bad, but he's not good. I'd rather see Pepe in there more. Yeah, I'm sure Zardes will steal a start in this in this window from Absolutely. Pepe. Not not ex- real excited about Ariel. You know what you're getting, a hard worker who's not a finisher, but you get some speed on the wing there. I mentioned Weya. I mean, if he can stay healthy, he would be who I'm most excited about. I mean, you know what you're getting with Aronson, who's looked good um, with Salzburg and in the last window for the U.S. Um, so it would probably be Matthew Matthew Hoppy behind Wea, who I'm most excited for. It'll be interesting because he told Greg, I'm not a winger, I'm a striker. <laughs> he, he was is. he was pissed when he when he put him there. But he but he played pretty well. He did play really well on the wing. I was impressed with how well I thought he was a striker and I saw him on the wing and I was like, oh, he's actually playing really well. Yeah, he's not afraid to take guys on. Hits a he might have had an assist off a cross. Definitely had a he good did. cross. He did have an assist off a cross. It was it was a really good cross. <laughs> He's yeah, he's not afraid to take chances, which unfortunately leads to, you know, more turnovers, but I like that out of out of a young guy like him, his aggression. I'm excited to see the return of Ricardo Pepe, to see his finesse and flair and create I mean just what he brings to the team and what I saw in that Honduras match with that beautiful goal that he scored plus those two assists. That's really showing to me of like, oh, well, we might have a diamond in the rough here of of somebody who can create up front right there in front of goal and who can score but is not afraid to create for his teammates to score. The three big omissions that come to me are number one, Daryl DK. The dude, I, I like this is when you call up Daryl DK. I know he's been working hard for Orlando City, but he's averaged about a 7.5 or something in the last three matches, scored in all of them, or maybe got an assist in the least recent of the last three games he's played. I mean, the dude is lights out. He's really lighting it up again once on his return for Orlando City. Will, why doesn't he make the cut? My only thought is Greg doesn't maybe think his conditioning and form is right where it needs to be. Maybe... He wants all his guys, you know, as close to 100% as possible. And DK's, like we've mentioned, has only been back a month, but is playing well of late. You know, I'm upset to miss him. I think guys just like him, him and Musa, with their size and strength, would just, they would dominate CONCACAF. And with Musa in the midfield, you know, it's for me, it's kind of like hit or miss, maybe. But with DK up front, I mean, his ability, his holdup play is pretty good. His shooting is incredible, as we've seen. He's tall, so he's got the aerial ability as well. He's just, I mean, he would run people over. You know, he's not going to take people on too often, but he does have that ability in his back pocket if he's, you know, by somebody slow. And in CONCACAF, he would tear it up. We saw him tear it up in the Gold Cup. We saw him tear it up in the Nations League. 
Second glaring omission to me was Josh Sargent, which let me just please say thank you, Greg, for finally seeing the light after three rounds of games over the summer, if you extend September to be included in the summer. Josh Sargent hasn't done anything. You finally wised up. Huh, maybe I shouldn't bring the striker who can't strike. Finally, Greg. Good luck to him in Norwich, but you shit the bed too often for me. Uh, yeah, I don't think any of us are too surprised about this. I'm glad he's, you know, he chose to let him stay with his club team to try and find his form rather than bring him in over guys who are who are more informed than, than Josh. Ho- hopefully he gets it together and he calls him back up when he does. Yeah, that'll be great. I'd love to see that, but for right now, stay off. The third one that I was kind of hinting at when I said we don't really have any left-sided players was Dilf. Where's the Dilf? Where's Conrad De La Fuente? That dude, I was very impressed with him the two matches he played in the last rounds of the World Cup qualifiers. He's got huge talent. It looks like he's really lighting it up at Marseille. Jorge Sampaoli's very good at getting a lot of the talent out of his young players. We've seen Jorge Sampaoli at Argentina. Admittedly, it was one of the worst times of Argentina. We saw him at Sevilla in 1617 when he was lighting that up we saw him at chile before that that was when they beat argentina in the copa america when that was everybody was thinking that was going to be messi's first international tournament and that was when they had alexis sanchez and arturo vidal and uh, vargas up front with nobody else on that team and they beat a inform argentina with all of their superstars but that was their coach, Sampoli. I'm not really sure why De La Fuente misses this call up. I don't. Do you think Greg wasn't impressed with his last go around? Yeah, I guess my one of my first thoughts is maybe he just rates him below these guys that he brought in. Based on talent, I think he's ahead of Areola, but Areola's obviously had more caps, and Greg is more familiar with. It might have to do with the COVID um, transfer policy of the travel restrictions could be that Marseille didn't even let him go like they wanted they didn't want him to either travel in quarantine or travel and risk getting injured because he's in such great form for Marseille right now I would have I would have liked to have seen him and maybe drop one of the defenders yeah for another winger moving on now that we've gone through this lineup in great detail what's the expectation and what's our hope for these upcoming matches against Jamaica Panama and Costa Rica. What do you think Greg is going to do? And I I mean, we all hope for nine points, but what's the real expectation here? I think the real expectation is you win both home games and you at least get a draw in Panama. So seven points, realistically. I think nine nine is definitely possible. I think my expectation as a fan is to get nine points. I think the U.S., and Mexico are clearly the two dominant teams with Canada kind of dragging pretty far behind the U.S., but is also a competitor in CONCACAF. You know, Jamaica might be on par with with Canada, but I don't see anybody else really as talented or even with a big enough talent pool to pull from to even match the level of us. So I think nine points should be the expectation from the U.S. men's national team staff, but it wouldn't surprise me if we got four from this frankly it wouldn't surprise me if we got a draw if we lost to Jamaica at home because we saw Canada come in and draw us at home which was kind of completely unexpected we also see Tyler Adams I believe is the team captain or should be the team captain going going into this RB Leipzig has not found good form this year they've really taken a dump under 
Jesse Marsh and it's not necessarily his fault because he did kind of come into a team that had their defensive rug pulled out from under them so he's trying to kind of fix that sinking ship that being said Tyler Adams hasn't had the greatest season yet I don't think that Weston McKinney has been in the greatest of form not for lack of trying but I think under Massimiliano Allegri he is not really the favored midfielder. I've seen talks of them kind of trying to farm him out to West Ham United in the Premier League. So I don't think that he's in truly the best of form. And I think a lot of these teams are giant slayers. You know, I think absolutely Jamaica is going to come in with Leon Bailey and Mikel Antonio spearheading their team. And I think they're they're out for blood and they're you know, they're giant slayers. A lot of these CONCACAF teams are. They come to Mexico and the United States, beat up on the players and try and pull out a win. We saw that at El Salvador salvaging that draw, you know. That was lucky enough for us as it was. You know, they parked a lot of players behind the bus but also played on the counter. Honduras was a game that flattered us score-wise. We should have won that game by that score margin, or, you know, if not even keeping a clean sheet. But they were out for blood too and we were lucky to get out of there with just having one goal scored against us. On paper, I can't see us losing a single game. I really can't. But when it comes down to it, I wouldn't be surprised if we took one point from the first two games. Yeah, the, yeah, the more I think about it, I think this team might have trouble to score. Man, I'm really worried. I don't, I don't think we'll give up many goals. But just looking at this winger and forward group, you know, I think it's just so much pressure on Pepe to perform. And that's, that's a lot for a teenager Put on his shoulders in his you know what will be his second appearance for the team i worry about the creativity of our team too especially i know you're i'm not sure who your nailed on midfield three is for our team i know we talked about that in our last episode as well go check that out that's a reaction video to our september world cup qualifier predictions and i know you said that andrew said that legit's in his midfield three I know Moose is in his midfield three over Legette if Moose is in the team. For me, Aronson's that third midfielder next to Adams and McKinney. Who do you have in the midfield? I wouldn't mind seeing Aronson there, but it doesn't seem like Greg's willing to really try him out there in the midfield so much. He seems to see him more as a winger. I would definitely like, yeah, Aronson as a starter based on how he's performed. I like him more than Musa and Legette right now, but I think Legette is the starter in his mind. I I like Musa more. Even though it's not going to be a pretty looking game, I think this team will just pull out more, scrape out more wins. So my final question for you, Will, is assuming the worst, and I'm not going to say the worst that we'll get zero points out of these three games. Let's say we get four points or less from these three games what does greg's future look like where where's the red line that we as u.s men's national team fans where's that red line that we draw that say greg this is the minimum expectation that you have to meet otherwise your ass is grass we're going to kick him to the curb where's that point for you it does it lie in these qualifiers does it lie outside of these like if we lose to mexico next time around with jamaica i think if you're gonna fire him you gotta do it you know early four points i think he's safe (laughs) i think he's on super thin ice i think they'd be afraid to pull the plug at four if he got three or less maybe that's the point in my mind where they're like we're moving on we're bringing in someone who's familiar with the squad of bob bradley bruce arena or somebody so for context 
Mexico sitting first with seven points from their three matches. Canada and the U.S. and Panama are tied for second on both points and goal differential with points at five and goal differential at three. At least two teams from CONCACAF make it into the World Cup, if not three. Where ideally would you like to sit after these games like i i guess ideally we want to be in first i'm not sure who mexico plays coming forward i think they play the teams that we just played but where realistically do you think we'll sit after this round of games do you think we'll jump mexico in first and they'll drop enough points or do you think we'll be firmly in second behind mexico do you think we'll drop too many points and fall down the rankings what's going on like we'll definitely be top three i do not think we'll leap mexico i feel like that's a november event i don't think they'll slip up this window um for us to overtake them they should be second um but i'll say i'll say they might have a slight hiccup and we're we're third assuming mexico does well so i'm going off of the assumption that we'll have nine points so mexico i'd say beats canada pretty just straightforward they're somewhat consistent they don't drop whenever they drop points more for draws than losses unless it's playing against us in which case they drop all points and since they play canada i say we hop over canada we pay, we play panama and even though it's an away game i'd say we still pull all three points away from panama we were shocked in el salvador we almost got shocked in Honduras, but we didn't. We came away with four points from those two matches. So I say we hop over Panama and Canada, and we are firmly in second place. And that second place is either going to be behind Canada because Canada wins all three of their matches or behind Mexico because Mexico beats Canada. Thank you very much for joining me. Will, is there anything that you would like to plug? MLS uh, youngsters that need a move to to Europe should be coming out soon. We'll definitely have, you know, a breakdown of this World Cup qualifying window. So I look forward to discussing these three matches with you and hopefully Andrew as well. Maybe one day we'll get all us all back together and on the podcast again. But yeah, go check that out. We do have a video coming up, like Will said, of the top 10 MLS youngsters who need a move over to Europe. I actually don't think that all of them were that young. But they definitely all need to move to Europe or some other bigger league. They don't deserve to be stuck down here in the MLS. I am going to plug some upcoming episodes that we have. We have some gold quality talent out there. We're going to be getting into a new marketing strategy here soon for you guys. So check out all our content that we have coming up. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you very much for listening. We are football by the numbers.